Hi everyone, I'm Josh McCormick, and this is Salud Talks. Last week, medical experts joined us to discuss the COVID-19 vaccine and the scientific pathway, the step-by-step process that ensures safety for those who receive such treatment. This week, those same specialists join us to discuss how they design and conduct studies to answer important questions that can lead to vaccines and treatments, bring scientific discoveries like COVID-19 treatments and vaccines to their patients in everyday practice, and why people choose to take part in clinical trials and partner with researchers to share their unique lived experiences to help advance science. We are joined by Dr. Katia Corrado, a researcher with the Lundquist Institute. Dr. Jaime G. DeVille, a safety board review member with the University of California, Los Angeles. Dr. Felix M. Valbuena, a medical care provider with the Community Health and Social Service Center. And Amelia Astro Flores, a COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial participant, who share their insights into the coronavirus pandemic and the safety of the vaccine. One of the other questions um, that I think is important here is that for those who are listening, Um, They're going to want to take this information and bring it to the folks in their lives, whether that be family members, friends, coworkers. Um, Could you um, provide a little bit um, of some maybe context uh, to what what you're saying in the sense that for a listener, how could they take the information, uh, information about the vaccine, the independent review boards, the safety guidelines um, that you're discussing here? and take that to those folks in their lives who maybe are um, vaccine hesitant? Um, What can they take from your conversation that could bolster that kind of discussion? Well, from from the institutional review point of view, what we look for is first and foremost, the safety of the trial participants. And that, that covers many aspects. But we have to um, to focus on on what happens after uh, vaccination, and how closely are uh, people who receive the the study vaccines monitored, and what are the safeguards to um, to deal also with adverse events, not just. Uh, minor or maybe moderate adverse events, but with, with severe adverse events. And all these trials um, have to have stopping rules. Yeah, fantastic. Um, one question that I have for you is that some folks who are hesitant, um, people that I've talked to specifically for my life, um, tend to uh, demonize some of the research projects or those who are participated in them. Um, from your perspective, working on the institutional review board, those who are working to develop this vaccine, can you talk a little bit um, about your colleagues, the folks that you're working with, their perspective on the vaccine, almost in a way to um, give listeners a perspective who are the real people that are actually making this vaccine uh, become possible and, and distributed, not just a wall of researchers that they just hear about um, from a scientific perspective, if that makes sense. We can talk a little bit about the composition of the institutional review board. And it's just not just a part, it's not just a scientific review, but we have a number of uh, members of the community that bring the community's perspective into, into these reviews. And without revealing who they are, they are, they come from all all walks of life. 
And just a word about vaccines and people who are um, hesitant of, of, of vaccination, um, we uh, have lost perspective of, of these diseases as vaccines have been probably the most effective medical intervention in history. Very important. And I think, um, Josh, what, what you asked um, the previous doctors as well, I think it's very important for people to know that by the time the vaccine reaches your arm, it has been studied really, really thoroughly. Yeah. Um, and, and Dr. Carrado, can you um, talk about um, the vaccine from a design um, and development perspective? Um, how is it, you know, how, how do those studies get conducted and who serves as an oversight? Uh, I guess. Sure. So we go from preclinical trials. So we're talking about when we're talking when um, the scientists who are at the lab bench, who are identifying the virus, who are sequencing the virus, um, who are finding out what it is that the vaccines are going to be made out of, or the treatments are going to be made out of, right? And so the preclinical trials is everything that doesn't include um, human beings. So we're doing animal modeling. We're we're um, finding out um, exactly the specific substance that's going to be used. And then when we go from the preclinical trials to say a phase one trial, and it's usually the first in human trials, right? And so the first time that a human being will have received this medication, this vaccine, we don't go and we don't target your 65-year-old grandma for this, right? We target someone who is young and healthy to, to if there are side effects that we need to know about, that the person will probably um, not suffer consequences. And so we, we have healthy volunteers for the phase one trials. And usually um, when we are able to solidify that it is safe in humans, we then move on to the phase two trials, which really talk about if the medication is going to work. Because until now, it's all been about identifying the substance, seeing if it's safe. And now we need to find out in phase two if it's actually going to work or not. Phase two tends to be a smaller group of people, okay, um, than we see in phase three. Because in phase three, we would never launch a medication or a vaccine into phase three unless we're pretty confident that it's going to work right? We haven't talked about all the time, all the efforts, all the money that's, that's, um, that is needed for these um, vaccines, for these medications to go through. But once you get to phase three, you have to be pretty, pretty confident. So by the time we get to phase three, we've already had thousands of people who have taken these medications. And by the time um, the FDA says, okay, under emergency use, or okay, you have full approval to go forward, um, our community should be um, should feel safe in knowing that many people have received the vaccine or this treatment or this new medication before it gets to you. Dr. Valbuena, uh, could you comment a little bit um, on how um, Dr. Deville's uh, work then informs your work? Well, um, we have to translate all of the, the research ease into layman's terms. And, and it basically, in, in, uh, in our community, comes down to um, having a trusted person in an individual's life, whether it is a pastor at a church, whether it's their primary care provider, whether it's the leader of a community-based organization that they belong to, or a family member who was on the 
the, um, the list initially to get uh, the vaccine who got it and did well and rely on those individuals to really um, deliver that message in a way that, that is, uh, is real time and real life um, to their families, to their, their neighbors, to their friends. And that's how you know, we've, we've seen um, an increase um, of um, a decrease of vaccine hesitancy or an increase of acceptance of the vaccine um, once we got past that initial phase where you know, those that were waiting in line uh, at the, the equivalent of the Apple store for the new iPhone got their, got their vaccines early on. And, and that is the delivery of the message um, that has had the most impact on getting individuals uh, vaccinated, a trusted person in their lives that is um, dispelling all the myths because social media for every every evidence based uh, um, um, comment that 's on there there 's you know twenty to thirty um, uh, myths that uh, continue to get driven home and so conveying the message um, to individuals in a way that they receive it best, whether it 's um, radio stations, whether it is, um, uh, you know, we did a piece on uh, Aquí y Ahora, I think it's called, on Univision, and um, local um, uh, uh, Mexican consulate, uh, Facebook Lives, and with the city health department, and just really reiterating the importance and the benefits of the vaccine for an individual and for their, their community members and their family members, as opposed to focusing on, well, here's what happens if you don't get it. It's here's, here are the benefits of getting it that uh, um, has made um, the uptake of uh, the vaccine, you know, translating all of the, the, the research that's being done into a very easy, understandable way that the community will say, okay, this, this, isn't, uh, this isn't as bad as it, as it was meant to be, as it was being politicized across the country. Oh, awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, and then, Dr. Corrado, would you just kind of give your perspective on all this information that we've been talking about? Um, how can we have these conversations with our friends and family in a way um, that feels productive and not sure? I think what we all understand, um, or we are understanding in the scientific community, is that there are a lot of things that we've done wrong historically, right? There's a lot of things that we continue to do wrong, but we are, there are people like myself, there are people like Dr. Valbuena and others in, in, on this call who are part of the representation of our communities in this different steps in our clinical design, trial, IRB approval, oversight committees. Because we bring in um, this extra part of us that says, hey, my community is important, and no, we're not gonna do things that will harm my community, right? So understandably, we have to say, I acknowledge where we have done wrong, I acknowledge where we can do better, but, Please know that these are the reasons why I trust this vaccine. This is the reasons why I trust this clinical trial. Um, just, Josh, to let you know, when we participated in the AstraZeneca clinical trial at Harbor UCLA, I couldn't be a participant because I was part of the investigators, but my mom, my mother-in-law, who's 73, my husband, they, I asked them to sign up, right? Because that was a way that they potentially could get a vaccine that potentially could be life-saving. 
And they did, October, November of last year, before any vaccines were approved, they were part of these clinical trials. I wouldn't put my family, my loved ones in harm's way by having them uh, be part of these clinical trials, same as I wouldn't offer it to my patients that I see every single day, which are patients who come to safety net hospitals and in clinics. Emmeline, if you could um, jump off of that, um, we, how your work as a volunteer participant, um, what made you decide to, to jump into that? So yes, um, I decided to participate because I wanted to make sure that I represented my community, the Latino community, in the clinical trials, since accurate representation is important in these trials to make sure that um, the results obtained can be applied to a diverse group of individuals. So I'm someone who believes in scientists and that the researchers involved in um, the vaccine development have the experience and education necessary um, to, to conduct um, to, to work with this vaccine development. So I trust, that's why I signed up for the trials, is because I trust in them. I trust in their experience and their education. I trust what I'm given is safe. And, um, and, and also like being involved in these studies help allow these scientists to gather um, accurate to gather data regarding the COVID-19 vaccine and can allow for faster vaccine distribution. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, could you share um, at any point going into it, right? There's that level of trust that you described, um, but from, um, I'm, I'm sure that there was some, um, some fear on your end. Um, if, if there was, could you describe a little of that and maybe explain like why in your process, you understood that it's okay to have questions. It's okay maybe to be a bit nervous. Well, uh, yes. So um, I guess I, I wasn't as fearful as I should have been. Um, I knew my family members were scared for me. Like the part in which I wasn't fearful as much is because I, I helped recognize that process. But there is that question is, is it going, is, Will it harm me? Will I have an adverse effect immediately after the vaccine is given to me? That was my main question. And um, participating in there in the clinical trials um, was, for a majority part, a positive experience because they helped sit down with me. They explained the process with me. We went through the IRB together. If I ever had any questions or felt uncomfortable, I would tell them the greatest part that was very um, like nice that they that they brought out was mentioning to me that if at any time like I felt that I didn't want to be part of the study I'm more than free to like exit the study like I'm not being forced to to complete the study to its entirety if I'm uncomfortable and I want to like leave I can leave and that's 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 great to have, like, you have that ability to leave if you're uncomfortable. So um, they also, once they injected me, since it's a double-blind study, they don't know, like, what you've been injected with. So they, they do monitor you for the first um, 15, no, for an hour to make sure, like, if you have any adverse effects. And I really like that part because... Um, I felt like if anything were to happen to me, I would be in an environment where people would come and help me. So, yes. 
That's awesome. Um, well, I mean, you're explaining um, a little bit about some of that experience, but how was your experience overall, start to finish? Um, you know, did, you know, I think you said that they answered all your questions, they provided you with, with support and understanding. So looking back on it, um, are you glad that, you know, you participated? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that I participated currently. Um, I'm, I'm still in the study. The study's a length of two years, so I have to like keep going in and um, they take like my blood and see, like they analyze and see, they analyze the antibodies and see if they're still there. But um, currently, yeah, I'm glad I would do it again. I, I, I'm happy to represent my community. Like I would never ask my community to do something that I wouldn't do. and. I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of that. Representation is very important. So in order for scientists to gain accurate data on a, for example, on a vaccine, it's important for individuals to sign up and, and to help aid these scientists in collecting data. And from my perspective, I had a positive experience and they're, the people there are always there to make you feel comfortable and safe and you always have the option of leaving the trial if you're ever on if you're ever uncomfortable and how I would tell my friends and family to enroll is you're in a way you're doing like an act of service for your community and that's how what I feel like I'm doing an act of service for my community and I'm making sure that this vaccine is safe for my community, the, the Latino community. That's awesome. If I could in there, Josh, I think, um, Emelina, you, you represent exactly the type of people that we love having on clinical trials, right? So in general, we have folks who say, uh, I'm not doing this just for myself, right? I'm doing this because if this were to work out, I would be part of the solution. I would be part of contributing to something that will help my grandmother, that will help my neighbor, that will help uh, others around you should this vaccine work, right? And exactly what you said at the beginning, because you participated, we can say, I can turn to my Latino patients and say there was a certain percentage in these clinical trials that showed, in, in Latinos, that showed that it actually does work in our population. So there's so much more confidence when I talk to my patients because you participated. So I just yeah. wanted to say thank you so much. That is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. No, thank you so much to you too for helping and being involved as well. Like I'm, I'm glad that I've had this experience of being a clinical trial participant because um, I, I'm able to help answer people's questions about uh, the vaccine development and questions they have of like, for example, a lot of misinformation is dispelled towards communities, black and brown communities, and questions about microchips or 5G that the vaccine may have. And since I was involved in that process, I can help tell them that, hey, it's, it's not like this, okay? Like, it's actually pretty safe. Like, safety is like the number one concern in these trials. So I help alleviate questions they have personal stories. My mother and grandmother actually were against uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, my mother also doesn't like shots. She's like, no, it's going to hurt. No, I, I don't want it. But being a part of this trial, she, she was fearful for me. But, um, but 
like being part of it, like I helped alleviate those questions she had. I told her, mommy, it's not like this. And I helped explain that to her. And my grandmother and mom luckily are vaccinated. So, and I'm, I'm really happy for that. And I want them safe. And I'm glad that they're vaccinated for, and that helped contribute to that decision. As someone who did participate in the trials, um, again, I'm sure that some of, um, at least again, like what I've heard among some of the people in my community, um, is that again, like they don't understand who the researchers are, or like you said, the number one concern is safety, or how these folks really just want to be there to help. So, can you talk about your experience specifically with um, the researchers that you're spending time with, and how much they care, and how much they do want to see people get better, not just you know, kind of this brick wall of science. Oh, yes, certainly. The researchers are, they, they do care about you. Like, safety is, like, the number one. But, I mean, there's a face to the researcher. There's, like, a personality to the researcher. They're not, like, these individuals with white coats that are, like, malicious and want to do harm to individuals. Like, <laughs> they want to, like, help you. And they want, they, they're, they're using their skills and education and experience to to provide a service to not only like their community but to to the United States and to the world in general so they work among each other and try to create the world a better place and that that's what I really love like that that um that love of service, loving to to help one another. So, yeah. Josh, you had mentioned earlier on in, in, in the call that if we could recall um, something that we've experienced personally with COVID-19. And um, so I, I remember this patient who we took care of um, during the winter surge. He's he was um, a young man, a young Latino, 45, who had recently been diagnosed with a brain mass. And he was waiting uh, for his opportunity to have this brain mass um, removed to find out what it is and to move on forward with his treatment. So he had been really, really careful about, um, and this is pre-vaccination era, right? So he had been really careful about um, COVID safety guidelines. And then the weekend before his um, planned surgery, um, family members came by to say, hey, good luck. You know, you're going to go through the surgery. And unfortunately, one of the family members brought COVID with them. So the patient got infected, got hospitalized soon thereafter, and eventually passed away. So, it, so his story really um, sat with me just because it's exactly what we would have done in, in our families, right? Someone is going to surgery, someone is going to, to do this, we're gonna go in and, and show our support. And unfortunately that led to this horrible consequence. And so how that translates into our conversation is we can be as careful, we can be as loving to our loved ones and family members, but if we don't get vaccinated, there is no way that we can afford that protection to them. And so we don't know who we've been in contact with. We don't know um, how much harm we can do by even in these acts of love. And so when people get vaccinated, you're not just looking at yourself in terms of protection, you're actually protecting your family, you're protecting your community. And so just like Emelina said, there are some people who join the clinical trials too um, because they want to serve their community. When you get vaccinated, you serve your community as well. 
Thanks to our guests for joining us on this episode, which was produced through a partnership between Salute America and the National Institute of Minority Health and Disparities Community Engagement Alliance. This episode is part two of a three-part series on COVID-19, the vaccine, and the disparities highlighted by the pandemic over the past year. In our next episode, we take a deep dive into a broader perspective on COVID-19 and its impacts on communities of color with two public health heroes, Dr. Amelie Ramirez, director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research at UT Health San Antonio, and Dr. Eliseo J. Perez-Estable, the director of the National Institute on Minority Health and Disparities. Salute Talks is produced by Tenochtitlan Tecatl, Josh McCormick, and Julia Weiss. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online by visiting salute-america.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and other social platforms at Salute America. Watch our award-winning videos on YouTube by visiting salute.to slash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.